Amen. Um, this holy week is indeed all about surrender. In the good sense of the word, surrender is amazing and beautiful when it's for the sake of love or a noble cause. Surrender is the worst when it's for the sake of a bad idea or to give into something that absolutely should not be done. Back in 1841, there was a Scottish writer um, by the name of Charles McKay who wrote a book called Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. What an extraordinary title. Um, and this book is all about not surrendering to the wrong things. He wrote about not believing in magical animals like unicorns. Um, he wrote about not murdering witches or those who were purported to be witches. Um, he wrote about the non-supernatural powers of vinegar, although apple cider vinegar is super good for you. Um, he also wrote about, he didn't use this turn of phrase, Ponzi schemes and the danger of groupthink and how economics can so easily go wrong and bubbles can be created because in Charles McKay's life, and a little before his life, uh, there was something in England called the South Sea Bubble where a corporation, a trade corporation, was built in the South Seas, not far from, through Australia, to bring goods to England, and this company eventually ended up trading publicly held stocks that were to become valued at 200 times their actual worth. And everybody for a while made a lot of money until it finally crashed and the bubble burst. And it's a good thing that he wrote this book almost 200 years ago because we would never fall into a trap like that and create an economic bubble where things were falsely inflated and then the bubble burst and everybody lost a lot of money, that would never happen again, right? In our modern world, just two years ago, an English author by the name of Douglas Murray, not a Christian man, followed up this book from 200 years ago and called his new book simply The Madness of Crowds and details the way in our modern world in which we have fallen into illusion and delusion socially and politically based on how easy it is with our modern communication tools and technology to create really bad momentum with groupthink ideas that, oh, everybody thinks that, so I better talk this way and think this way too. Have you noticed this happening in the world? Any like bad ideas that have just caught wildfire that maybe were even slightly attractive to you over the past few years that you ended up Regretting or ideas that ended up being debunked? Any ideas like this? I'm not, I'm not going to indulge and mention any in particular. Hopefully we know what I'm talking about here. I want to keep our intention on Jesus. One of the shocking dynamics in the last week of Jesus' life is the group think and crowd delusion that went on in the city of Jerusalem. So the scene that played itself out in front of our eyes with Old people and young people and kids, like, singing praises to God, having a great time, being full of hope, waving palms. Like, that really happened 2,000 years ago. And it was because Jesus of Nazareth, the prophet, 
could he be the Messiah? Is he going to be the one to rescue us? Rode into Jerusalem. And the spirit of the city, the spirit of the people, everybody knew that they were on the cusp of something amazing, that God was finally going to deliver them from the Romans, that things were looking up, that Jesus was going to lead the way forward. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 19, if you will read the words in yellow. When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, the whole crowd of disciples, the whole crowd, began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Here we go. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is like a political rally where, like, hitting all the right buttons. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody is pumped. Go Jesus. It even bookends the song of the angels at the beginning of Jesus' life, right on Christmas Eve, when the angels sing glory to God on the highest and on earth. Peace to those on whom God's favor rests. It seems like the perfect bookends for the life of the Messiah. What could go wrong at this point? I mean, the whole crowd is supporting him. All of us are on the same page together. Here's the problem. When we get together in large crowds of people, we tend to project our personal agenda and preferences onto whether it's the president or the candidate or the governor or the premier or the messiah. And when they fail to meet what our preferences and our agenda is, things can turn south fast. What was the agenda of the people in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago? Flip the switch, Jesus. Like, get the Romans out of here. Kill inflation. Lower taxes. Get us some better jobs. Does that sound familiar? What was Jesus' agenda? What's my agenda when I come to church 2,000 years later? even knowing how the story ends. Here's my agenda. Jesus, I would like a little more personal success. I would like a little more spiritual maturity, but don't make it hurt too much. I would like to be physically healthy. I would like everybody around me, including the church of people that I serve as a staff member, I would like all of them for things to go well, for them to be happy, not too much problem, not too much infighting, kind of easy street, but just a small dose of struggle so that we don't get totally delusional. Like, that's my agenda. Does that sound bad? Couldn't you get on board with that agenda? Here is the Messiah's agenda. To save people like us. To save us from ourselves. And to save us from our delusions. To redeem us. To transform us. To not leave us where he found us. To actually change us. What? Do I need to change? To change us. To bring us closer to him. To get us to live into his presence. To change our agenda so that it actually becomes the agenda of the heart of God himself and Jesus, the son of God. Here is the difficult truth of Holy Week, friends. The only way to bring about a change, even for a nice person like you, 
the only way to change your intuitive agenda to Jesus' agenda, the only way anything changes in this world is through great love and or great suffering. I'll say it again. This is the truth. The only way things change for human beings, really change, is through great love or great suffering. And so often, they intermingle. If you've lived more than 12 years of life, think back to what is maybe one of your defining moments. I mean, something where you could really feel your mind expanding, your heart growing, something shifting in your gut, in your spirit. And I would be so highly suspicious that in that moment, you were being touched by extraordinary love or you were going through extraordinary challenge, difficulty, and pain. We are the kind of people who, unless one of those two things is happening, we are so happy to keep our agenda to just cruise and keep it the same, please. Let's not change too many things. During Holy Week, one way of thinking about what Jesus is about to do for all of us is to put on full display for everybody the greatest love and the greatest suffering. And because of those two things, made manifest in Jesus, this moment in all of human history, in the history of the material universe, it is this moment that God chooses to invite you into so that true change and true transformation can take place. That's why we have extra worship services this week. That's why I'm going to personally spend extra time in silence and solitude to simply open myself and ask God to let this sink a few layers down deeper so that even a person like me who wants easy street might change a little more by God's grace. Holy Week is a battle for the soul of the world. I am not overselling this. I am not exaggerating. I am not making hyperbole here. If you believe the Bible is God's word, Holy Week, what is what we are about to remember and relive and worship God for this week is the very critical moment in the battle for the soul of the world. It sounds like a Hollywood film when I put it this way, but this story is more dramatic, more real, more true than anything you've ever watched. And I, for one, am fascinated by the unconventional way in which Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah, makes war for the soul of the world. He is not an unconventional fighter. On Palm Sunday, he did not ride into town on a white horse. I mean, he did not, you know, ride into town on a, a tank these days. He did not deploy the missiles. He rode into town on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Not the most glamorous entrance that a leader has ever made. And then here's how Jesus chose to arm himself, how he chose to gear up for this battle with sacrifice, with forgiveness, with surrender, with love, with pain and suffering. 
If those are the weapons with which you arm yourself, is it any wonder that you might end up crucified by the end of the week? But this is how the God of all peace, the God of all righteousness, this is how he has taught us to fight our battles and to really behold change. We're going to read together um, from Luke chapter 23 now and enter into the fray of this battle. I'm going to make just a few comments along the way. Um, as I read these words, um, I would invite you again to uh, read expressively whenever there's text in yellow. You'll get some good lines and some really bad lines along the way. Just seven days after Palm Sunday, the mood of the crowd totally changed. The joy of the crowd became truly the madness of the crowd. With their agenda unsatisfied, things turned 100% upside down. There's a man named Pontius Pilate who was the governor of Jerusalem, and we pick up the story with him. Pontius Pilate called together the chief priests in Jerusalem, the Jewish rulers, and the people. And he said to all of them, you brought thee me this man as one who was inciting you people to rebellion. This is an amazing lie, by the way. The accusation that it's Jesus who is the one creating the madness, even though he's only wielding the weapons of peace. I have examined him in your presence and find no basis for charges against him. And neither has your king, Herod, for he sent him back to us. And as you see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will just punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Now Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an actual insurrection in the city and for murder. You know the crowd gets crazy when you ask for the release of convicted murderers and criminals and want the innocent person to switch places with them. Still wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Truly the madness of crowd here. Truly, we're so committed to our agenda so much trust in that. For the third time, Pilate spoke to them. Why, people? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. The weakness of politicians. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man Barabbas who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and then surrendered Jesus to their will. The worst kind of surrender. 
surrendered Jesus to the madness of us. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. We're at the foot of the cross now. And here is what they said as the innocent prince of peace hung from the Roman tree. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The Roman soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar, and the soldiers said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Can you imagine being mocked by your own friend or student or child or grandchild? If you're an adult, you're the person who's trying to love, you've sacrificed for this person. And if they said something like this to you, I, I hope you die. Grandpa, you always seem like you're in charge, but actually your entire life is totally worthless. Jesus is the incarnation of the God who made every atom in the universe. And people like us had the gall to taunt him to his human face. If you're really in charge, do something about it. Because it doesn't seem like you're in charge. How tempted would you be if a coworker or somebody who reports to you or one of your students or somebody in your family gave you even one millionth of this kind of pushback? How quickly would your wrath and resentment and righteous rage ride up, rise up and want to put things in their place, put them in their place. And yet Jesus, the Prince of Peace, with the weapons of peace, keeps his mouth shut. You don't vote for a king, do you? I mean, the European countries had this right all along. It is by divine right that there are kings and queens. It's just that there's no human being who deserves to be a king or a queen. There's only one. His name is Jesus. By divine right, he is the prince of peace and king of kings. And through our social madness, he was taunted with just the opposite. There was a written notice over his head which read, this is the king of the Jews. Correct. Actually, got that part right. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. You know things are going wrong when nature and even the buildings are cooperating with the spirit of what is happening. A veil covers the sky. I mean, the curtain that kept the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world splits in two. If you're in Jerusalem that day, you must know something is up and seriously wrong. And at that moment, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We heard in Karin's prayer from Psalm 31 earlier. It is Psalm 31, verse 5. Jesus did not come up with a new line at this point. He went back to one of the earliest prayers he would have ever learned. Do you know what every kid in the city of Jerusalem was taught to pray when his mother or her mother tucked them in at night? I learned, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's kind of a dark prayer. If I die before I wake, pray the Lord my soul to take. 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, they would have learned this prayer. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. The nighttime prayer of Jewish kids. On that good Friday night in countless homes in Israel, when parents tucked their little ones into bed and blew out the lights, they would hold their hands of their kids and listen to their little lips say, into your hands, I commit my spirit. How many years in Joseph and Mary's home had Jesus and his siblings received a goodnight kiss, a hold of the hand, and said these very words, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And now that same son, grown into a real man, could think of no better words when it came to wield the ultimate weapon of peace and to surrender absolutely into God's hands and God's will than those words, into your hands, I commit my spirit. His mom was nearby. The very woman who had heard child Jesus pray those same words so many times bore witness to him doing this for the sake of the rest of us. There was a Roman centurion standing there and seeing what happened, that Roman praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and then went away. But for those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, they stood at a distance watching these things. And so it is for us who follow in the footsteps of those women from Galilee, that this week we would watch and wait with the Lord. If we watch, if we wait, if we behold, what might God do, even with a crowd like ours? What might God do even for a person like you or me? It seems a long ways away, but Sunday is indeed coming. When this room was built, it is no accident that the highest thing in this room is the cross that points us to this very moment where Jesus embodied the will of God, where Jesus personified 
the greatest love and the greatest suffering that has ever been made known. And because of that, real change, real transformation is possible in the presence of that great love and that great suffering intermingled for us. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we want to say yes to you this week. We want to watch. We want to wait. We want to pray. We want to behold your great love. We want to behold your great suffering for us. And oh Lord, might you even work in the heart and the soul and the spirit of somebody like me. I surrender myself and my time into your hands. Redeem me, O God of truth. Amen.